COVID-19 are two different diseases. As you can see here, the R O R zero number, which is the number of people that we pass on in flu is 1.3, while COVID-19 is um, somewhere from 2 to 2.5. Uh, the incubation time um, for flu is 1 to 4 days, but for, um, but for, for COVID-19, it is said is 1 to 15, but uh, most cases is about 5 to 7 days. So 5 to 7 days is the incubation time. Hospitalization rate is very much higher compared to flu. It's 19% versus 2%. And as I mentioned earlier, case fatality rate again is extremely high compared to compared to flu. So it, it doesn't seem to be just a flu. Uh, with regards to case fatality rate, again, there is some difference um, uh, with regards to the case fatality rate. In seasonal flu-based US data, as you can see here, um, um, the, the, the seasonal flu uh, about 1.4% of the medical visits, uh, the mortality rate in 65 years is high. But if you can see here, the mortality rate for, for everybody is 2.3% compared to 0.1%. I mentioned this earlier. And you come on, you, you come on to the, the more than 60 years of old, the mortality rate goes up to 6%. Uh, it, is, uh, it is four to seven times higher than flu. And so older the age group, higher the case fatality rate. Right? And again, showing the same thing again, based on Chinese CDC data, um, it shows if you're 80 years 80 years or older, right? You have you have you have uh, uh, a higher risk compared to someone younger. In fact, 14.8 percent of the people uh, aged uh, age 80, or 15 percent of people who age 80 and older will succumb to this disease. If it's 70 to 79 years of age, 8 percent of them will succumb to succumb to the disease. If 60 to 69 percent of age gets the disease, 3.6 percent will succumb to the disease. This is based on U.S. CDC data over there, which is about over over 50,000, sorry, Chinese CDC data uh, with over 50,000 uh, 50, patients data. Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, again, China CDC tells the same story. Uh, asymptomatic cases, 1%. Mild cases, 80%. Severe cases, 15%. Critical cases is 3%. Our first, our first impression is, um, uh, is that uh, COVID-19 begins flu in the first week. Some, but not all, go on to get a SARS-like severe pneumonia. So majority have majority have a flu-like illness, but some go on to get uh, SARS-like illness. Right? And usually, so what happens is in the first week, that's many people with mild disease. Towards the end of second week days, those who, those who seem to become here, get on to have the disease day six onwards. Day six onwards, they turn they turn ill. We classify clinical categories based on uh, asymptomatic, no pneumonia, pneumonia not requiring supplemental oxygen, pneumonia requiring oxygen. And uh, five uh, critically ill. That's our 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 clinical categories that we use in our hospital. So every patient that comes in, we categorize them uh, based on. Um, so how do we treat them? Um, asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic, no treatment is necessary. Um, mild to moderate disease, we use chloroquine or, or, or chloroquine current treatment. Okay. Um, Beyond this, um, um, we don't we don't know yet what is the best antiviral treatment, or even if an antiviral treatment makes a difference, we don't know. And so we have some some treatment treatment strategies 
but uh, we don't know which one uh, is the best. And so we are still uh, trying out different strategies uh, for particular, particular disease. Uh, I see, uh, what is the evidence for chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine? If you believe uh, Donald Trump, of course, that's the best thing that happened to COVID-19. Uh, because, but um, we're not sure as it because the evidence for it out there is extremely poor. Okay, these are three papers that we have to go for 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 COVID nineteen and chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. There's a letter to the editor from 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 uh, from uh, from this from pharmacists from from China saying that chloroquine seems to be effective. There is an in vitro, in vitro study that is comparing hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. And came up with optimized dose regime, and this particular study from France uh, that sort of you know hit the press uh, uh, and was it was actually viral everywhere. That talks about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. I will share with you a bit of a bit of the data from this particular study. Yeah. Uh, so there's just 26 patients. Six of them were lost to follow up. I think four or five of them ended up in ICU. So they they, they are not once they go to ICU they, they don't follow them up. And so six of them lost to follow up. And so you're left with 20 patients who are on this treatment. 16 controls, not randomized controls. These are people who refuse to take a drug from a different hospital. They excluded people with retinopathy, G6PD deficiency, and QT prolongation. Breastfeeding and, and, uh, and uh, pregnant patients were also excluded. So there are some, so a lot of the risk factors were excluded. So they ended up having 20 patients uh, given hydroxychloroquine. As you can see here, the age, uh, the hydroxychloroquine people were older, the control patients were younger, um, and many of them actually very mild disease. As you can see here in the hydroxychloroquine armor, two of them of the 20, two of them were asymptomatic, 12 of them only had a URTI, and six of them had a, 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 a pneumonia, right? So this is a very mild disease. Uh, uh, time between onset to, to start hydroxychloroquine is about four days. Huh? So anywhere from two days to six days, uh, where that's when they started hydroxychloroquine. And when they started this, these patients, what happened? Uh, they, they showed the viral, because these patients had mild disease, and so no brainer, all of them did very well. And so they looked at they looked at proxy markers, um, uh, because if you do badly out of the study, if you enter ICU out of the study, so they only looked at people who remained remained in the in the wards, and they looked at and they looked at um, um, uh, the time taken for the viral load to go get go come become low, and they showed that you know. Hydroxychloroquine, the viral load really comes down. And then, coincidentally, they had few patients, six patients, just six patients in azithromycin, uh, because they were treating them for atypical pneumonia too. And they showed that if you had hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, the viral load dropped faster. I just want to point out to you that um, uh, if you go to read hydroxychloroquine literature, azithromycin is one of the contraindicated drugs because both of them prolong the QT interval. So to know the safety of hydroxychloroquine azithromycin in this population, we need to see. I'm, I'm, I'm always wary of, of, uh, of treatment uh, studies that, uh, that come out saying one treatment is superior to the other. This is because of our, our Kaletra experience. I'll just share with you our Kaletra experience, uh, our Lopinavir, Ritonavir that we started. In the first wave of patients that came in, uh, when patients were very ill, we gave them Caletra, uh, and in fact, you know, I remember telling our, 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 our my own bosses, "Oh, we started Caletra, and patient improved." We did see patients on on face mask, and then and then almost intubating, and they, they all got better. And we were we were convinced, at least in severe disease, Caletra should be the treatment. 
there is just uh, just last two two three days ago there's a randomized study published by the chinese uh, colleagues where they looked at calatra in mo moderate in patients who required oxygen the exact group that we used uh, the calatra arm did as just as well or just as badly as a placebo there's no difference and so i'm always wary about these uncontrolled studies that are coming through because for calatra we had that experience in this disease switches off in some people and so just because we start a drug doesn't mean the switch off because of the particular drug and so that's why we are very wary of of coming up with treatment guidelines that are not convinced about currently what we are convinced about is hydroxychloroquine is probably should be used for mild to moderate disease uh, we are not convinced it can be used as placebo as prophylaxis we are not convinced we should use it for asymptomatic people because it is a drug with lots of side effects, especially the QT prolongation. We need to use it and see before we, we, we decide it is worth, worth pursuing. So moving forward, what do, what do, I, what, what do we expect with regards, to, with regards to disease control? Um, uh, every day deaths are mounting and of course, you know, there's concerns that whether it will be It'll be one of those flu pandemics that everybody always cares about. As you can see here, uh, the Spanish flu uh, um, mortality was extremely high, 17.4 uh, million. The Asian flus, uh, uh, as anywhere from uh, 1.54 million to 2.2 to 4, uh, 2.4 million deaths. And so we really don't know how this disease is going to pan out, but it does look like it is going to be one of the interesting times, one of the worst diseases that we can we can sort of experience. Uh, some of the reasons why why it is so bad is uh, this particular study that looked by, by the Japanese who looked at uh, looked at 28 pairs where they, they, the the literature was very clear about who was infected first and who was infected second. So they were they, they knew exactly the, the the series. So when they looked at 28 infected infected series that was published, they said that the median serial interval is 4.6 days. That means if I get a disease now. And uh, I've, my, I've got a family member next to me who stays with me throughout the way they can escape from infection. They will get the disease in 4.6 days. That's extremely fast. Because within before we can in, institute control, identify the person and isolate them, they've already infected somebody else. Uh, this is in contrast with the initial reports that came out from China, which said that probably the serial interval was 7.5 days. Just to remind you, SARS, based on Singapore data, the serial interval was 8.3 days. So we have a disease now that spreads very fast. Before we know you have the disease, you already passed on to your somebody else. And that's the that's the disease we have. And also we are now seeing that, you know, that maybe, maybe there is some asymptomatic uh, uh, proportion of asymptomatic patients who are now also transmitting the disease. And so there is some story about whether also with regards to the mortality, I just want to share with you this particular data that is uh, uh, this particular data that is here. As you can see here, this is mild cases, mild pneumonia, this is severe. Each column is different, right? Mild cases, mild pneumonia, severe pneumonia. So mild cases, mortality is 0 0.32. Mild pneumonia, the mortality is 0.48. If it's severe pneumonia, 7.73. No brainer, right? Isn't it? Okay, severe pneumonia, you have higher mortality. But I want what I want you to highlight is down here. The last three rows, right? Okay. Same severe pneumonia, same severe 
Yeah. But in Wuhan, the mortality rate is 10.28%. In Hubei province, outside Wuhan, 7.35%. And outside Hubei is 1.3%. So same disease, same severity of illness, different mortality. Um, and so, uh, and so, it just tells us this tells us that you know, uh, this disease kills by overwhelming our health system. The disease in itself is not maybe not that fatal, but it can be extremely fatal if our health system gets overwhelmed. That's the reason why so much effort is being put to 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 bring in increase our our surge capacity, uh, uh, like no no other times uh, ever I have heard of private hospitals, university hospitals, army hospitals, and their labs are coming together uh, in, 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 in circumstances I've never seen before, uh, that they're all coming together and pooling the capacity of, 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 for this COVID-19. And if we can pool very well, and if we can make sure we don't, the, the disease doesn't overwhelm our, our surge capacity, then I think the mortality rate will be very low. And places where it happens, the mortality rate is actually because of surge, surge in the capacity. Right? That's the reason. That's what people talk about: flatten the curve, right? And so we we don't want it to come in in a big surge. And then this is our this is our hospital capacity and overwhelm the hospital capacity. We want it to come gradually. That means what does it mean? That means we are in for a long haul. We are not going to see this outbreak finish in a short time. We want to flatten the curve so that it goes on for a longer time, but it doesn't overwhelm our health system. And that's the that's the theory that, that we are working on and to see to decrease deaths in the country. And how to flatten the curve, right? You know? And one of the biggest things that people talk about is social distancing. Doing social distancing early. Doing social distancing early in the in the outbreak uh, might help. And that's the reason why. Some of the drastic measures that are being taken currently to control control the disease. Okay. So there are three things that that people do uh, for this uh, epidemic, uh, a pandemic. One is isolation. So isolation is if somebody's got a confirmed infection, then we isolate them so that they don't infect other people. The next one is quarantining them. Right? If we think somebody's been exposed to an infection but are not sick. We want to quarantine them somewhere. They are well, but they've been exposed to infection. We want to quarantine them. And of course, uh, the social distancing, uh, the, all the rest of the people, we want to do uh, social distancing. And that's the three three things that we want to continue. So even if we go into mitigation phase, we still have to continue all these three things. Any one of them, any one of them alone is not enough to control the disease. And uh, some of the things that we tell them when when they go on home surveillance is the home when they ask them to go, do uh, home quarantine themselves is what we do, right? We ask them to be contactable, limit their visitors, uh, make sure they cough etiquette, wear a mask, wash their hands frequently, avoid sharing e eating utensils and personal hygiene items, uh, and of course keep the windows open for good ventilation. These are the ones that we talk about when you have to isolate yourself at home. And uh, um, many of us have got lots of theories on uh, how best to control this, uh, how to get over this pandemic, right? Isn't it? All of us have some theories, and uh, each one, each one thinks theirs is right. And so, similarly, I have a theory too. And uh, of course, it's just I'm not sure whether I'm right or wrong. And the theory is, I think, to get to get out of this pandemic, I think 
we should cocoon, we should form a cocoon around our high risk population because every high risk, if, if a person who is not at high risk, let's say a young guy gets infected, maximum it gets a URTI uh, or, or, or a mild pneumonia and it gets better. Yes, a small fraction of them end up in ICU and even succumb to disease, but there's an extremely strong small fraction. But if the same infection happens in older age group, people have got comorbids and people have got low immunity, they end up in an intensive care unit and they, they occupy a lot of intensive care beds and the outcome is extremely poor. And so the way we're going to get out of this, this pandemic is we need to form a cocoon around all this, this group. We should make sure all these group of people do not get infected no matter what. So maybe we have to, we have to make sure they stay at home and uh, the young and healthy ones make sure provide for them so that they can remain at home until this, this pandemic is finished. And so forming a cocoon around our high-risk group is going to be a strategy to prevent, prevent uh, this disease from overwhelming our healthcare system. Uh, there's a lot of advice now available. On, uh, these are the QR codes for you to, share, to, to refer to. This one is from, from public advice. A lot of, lot of books available for public advice. And our guidelines are being regularly updated and I, I didn't talk about the guidelines just now because we are, we are in the process of coming up with the new guidelines. If you have any questions on the guidelines, ask us, but it's not out yet and I didn't want to preempt the, the, the new guidelines. And also, Ministry of Health has a, has a telegram uh, uh, ch uh, channel in which they send out regularly uh, updates on, on, on what Ministry of Health is coming up with, the CPRC comes up with it, and it's worth joining this group uh, so that you get all the updates from uh, from uh, from uh, Ministry of Health, and that's all I have for you now. Thanks. And that. Before we move on to the next uh, speaker, I kindly request your coalition to please mute your mic on your side. So next, I would like to uh, invite. Uh, Dr. Suraya Amir Hussain, who is the Head of Infection Control Unit of the Medical Care Quality Section, Ministry of Health, should be presenting on infection prevention and control in the private healthcare facilities. Go ahead, Dr. Suraya. Thank you, Dr. Fazila. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh dan salam sejahtera. Very good morning. Okay, my outline of the presentation will be uh, introduction of COVID-19, case definition of COVID-19, definition of contact, admission criteria, Infection control. Under the infection control will be infection a hierarchy of control. Principles of infection prevention and control for acute respiratory infection. Standard and transmission based precaution. PPE recommendation. And also disinfection. In terms of um, um, guidelines, in terms of uh, case definition, 
as well as admission criteria. This is the current one. It will be updated and later, if we have the latest one, we will share the latest one. Uh, as for this presentation, it just follow our version four of our protocols. Uh, introduction of COVID-19. Um, coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, is defined as illness caused by a novel coronavirus, now called severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus. SARS-CoV-2, which is formerly called uh, 2019 and which was first detected amid outbreak of respiratory illness in Wuhan city, uh, Hubei province of China. Coronavirus is an enveloped positive single-stranded RNA viruses that are round and sometimes pleomorphic with 80 to 120 diameter and belongs to the family of coronavirus. You can see there a short evolutions of COVID-19. Sorry, I forget. Good morning. Okay. Uh, it started in December uh, 2019, where Chinese authority alerted WHO about outbreak in Wuhan. And in January 2020, 2019 coronavirus was identified. And in January 13, first case outside the China has actually detected um, in Thailand. Uh, Nepal, Japan, and South Korea. And in Malaysia, first cluster was detected in 25th of January 2020. The transmissions of this coronavirus, actually, it's actually from person to person spread. The virus is not to spread mainly from person to person between people who are in close contact with another uh, person, which is actually about uh, Sorry, six meter, uh, six uh, feet away, uh, through the respiratory droplets produced. <laughs> okay, through the respiratory droplets produced when an infected person cough or sneeze, and these droplets can land in the mouth or nose of people who are nearby or possibly inhale into the lungs. It can spread from contact with contaminated surfaces or objects. It may be possible that a person can get COVID-19 by touching a surface or object that has the virus on it and then touching their own mouth, nose and also possibly their eyes. This shows the uh, infographic of the transmissions of the virus uh, COVID. As you can see there, when infected individual cough, it actually produces the droplets. So droplets can be uh, transmitted to susceptible individual, or droplets can also be landed on the surface, on your hands, which can be actually direct contact to the person and indirect contact to the um, environment. Some of the procedures, which is AGP, aerosol uh, generating procedures, it can actually cause airborne, in which these uh, droplets can become airborne so that uh, it can actually transmit to the susceptible individual. <clears throat> the definition of COVID following the current case definition for Malaysia, QI of COVID-19, fever or acute respiratory infection with sudden onset of respiratory infection with at least one either it's shortness of breath, cough or sore throat, and travel to or, to or reside in infected countries in the, before the onset of illness, or 
close contact in 14 days before illness, onset with a confirmed case of COVID. Confirmed case of COVID is defined as a person with laboratory confirmation of infection with COVID-19. Definition of contact. We need to know this definition of contact, whether the close contact or social contact in terms of contact tracing as well as in terms of management of issues. A contact of COVID-19 case is a person not currently presenting symptoms or who has or may have been in contact with a COVID-19. It is divided into close contact and casual contact. The close contact are those who are, it could be healthcare-associated exposure who without wearing appropriate PPE, including providing direct care, direct care for COVID-19 patients, working with healthcare workers infected with COVID-19, visiting patients or staying in the same close environment of a COVID-19 patient. Those who are working in, together in close proximity or sharing the same classroom environment with COVID-19 patients. And those who are traveling together with COVID-19 patients in any kind of convenience. And it could be from uh, a group of people who are living in the same household <coughs> as COVID-19 patients. As for potential contact, it could be a person who was in a close environment with a COVID-19 case for less than 15 minutes or at a distance of more than 2 meters. Or a person having face-to-face -face contact with COVID-19 case for less than 15 minutes at a distance of less than 2 meters. Admission criteria, uh, this is the current, uh, our admission criteria. UI COVID-19 who is critically ill, UI COVID-19 with uncontrollable medical conditions, whether they are immunosuppressed adults, pregnant women, and extreme age of less than two years or more than 65 years old. Symptomatic close contact of a confirmed case regardless of severity of illness, laboratory confirmed case whether they are symptomatic or asymptomatic, and those who are not suitable for home surveillance. Uh, as examples, no carriers, stay at hostel, no private transport. Okay. This is the hierarchy of controls in infection as a whole, as a general. Uh, we start with the biggest portion, which is elimination of the hazard itself, substitution, which is replacing the hazard, engineering controls, isolate people from the hazard, administrative controls, change the way people work. And the, the, the this one is actually the PPE, protect the worker with personal protective equipment. From the most effective to the less effective here. Principles of infection prevention and control for acute respiratory infections. This is as a principle for RE. Whenever patients have RE symptoms, these principles apply. First one, early and rapid recognition and source control that includes promotion of respiratory hygiene, application of standard proportions for all patients, additional proportion in selected patients, examples, contact, doctors, and airborne, based on the presumptive diagnosis, establishment of NIPC infrastructure for the healthcare facilities to support NIPC activities, and provisions of adequate and regular supply of PPE and appropriate training of staff using the PPE. 
Okay, it will serve to further reduce the risk of transmissions of respiratory pathogens to healthcare workers and to other people interacting with the patients in the healthcare facilities. Um, looking into these current conditions, we can't actually uh, predict whether there are uh, patients are PUI or not, because some of them are not uh, telling the truth. So please treat all the patients who comes with RE with these uh, principles of infection prevention and control. We start with standard precaution because standard precaution is very important. Okay, what is standard precaution? It is the minimum infection prevention practices that should be used in the care of all patients all the time. So don't forget about all patients all the time. Standard precautions are sets of infection control practices used to prevent transmissions of diseases that can be acquired by contact with blood for this week's night infection and mucous membranes. This is our main uh, thing in infection prevention and control. There are nine components of standard precautions or elements in the standard precaution. The first and foremost is our hand hygiene. You can do it either like alcohol-based using alcohol-based syrup or also using uh, soap and water. Personal protective equipments. There are a range of personal protective equipments which actually um, use based on the exposure risk. Disinfectant and sterilizations, environmental hygiene. Linen management, waste management, spillage management, injection safety and shops management, respiratory hygiene, and health So all this uh, standard precaution is very, very related to our COVID-19 uh, control and prevention. What are the these uh, transmission-based precautions? Okay. When treating patients who are known or suspected of being infected or colonized with infection, infectious agents, it is applied according to the clinical syndrome and the likely etiologic agents and then modified based on the test results. These precautions are to be implemented in conjunction with standard precaution. So this is actually uh, together with the standard precaution. Standard precaution is the main thing you have to do. When we assess the patient, we need to see uh, what types of transmission of these uh, pathogens. So you can actually include uh, this as a conjunction to the uh, standard precautions. There are three types of transmission-based precautions. The first one is contact, second one is droplet, and the third one is a bond. Okay? It may be combined for diseases that have multiple routes of transmissions. Are we talking on contact precautions? Okay. For contact precautions, I'll just share you every uh, all the organisms uh, related to that. Happy simplex, happy zoster, MGROs, sarcococcal disease, and also typhoid and varicella zoster. Uh, in terms of contact precautions, uh, we should have uh, the signage for that for visitors, report to nurse before entry washing, hand washing of all patients, environmental contact and glove removal, gloves required for all patients, environmental contact also, long sleeve gown required for all patients and environmental contact also. For contact precautions, the first thing first is isolate the patient in a single room 
If single room is not available, cohort the patient with the same organism at the designated area. Strict hand hygiene before entering and upon existing the patient room or area. All patients need to be tagged for easy identification. Uh, examples in their dental reports as well as the site area. Should be uh, using appropriate PPE as well as dedicated medical equipment. For doctor precautions, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 is actually uh, included in this. You have to note that we need to apply airborne precaution in some of the procedure, which is actually aerosol generating procedure. The doctor precautions usually uh, related to how patient and emergency department should include this acute febrile respiratory symptoms are patients at least one meter or three feet away from others in common waiting area. This visual alerts at the entrance of healthcare facilities instructing persons with respiratory symptoms to practice respiratory hygiene or cough etiquette, as well as provide hand hygiene resources, tissues and masks must be made available in common areas and areas should use for the evaluation of patients with respiratory illnesses. I'll be focusing on IPC measures when dealing with UI for COVID-19. Okay. Uh, for the clinical triage, we should have rapid case identification of patients at risk by using visual aid and proper travel history taking in patients presenting with fever and cough. Rapid triage of patients with fever respiratory disease is recommended. Must offer surgical mask if patient is able to tolerate. If patient is unable to tolerate, advise patient to cover nose and mouth during coughing or sneezing with tissue or flex ergo. With our current condition, most of our patients who go to OPD is actually this group. They are having um, signing symptoms of respiratory infections, uh, so we need to offer them surgical mask to protect ourselves. Separate QI to a dedicated duty area, which is well ventilated with special separations of at least one to two meter between patients in the waiting rooms. Place this QI in the pre-designated waiting area, get the patient's information, notify to the district health office, then refer to screening hospitals. Okay. Uh, after that, we need to disinfect the waiting area. The pre-designated area should have actually one meter away from other patients and staff and with minimal surrounding items. These are the PPE for healthcare workers recommended based on the exposure risk. Yeah? The first setting is the triage area. For healthcare workers who are working at the triage area, they should maintain one to two meters special distance at all time. The type of PPE recommended is surgical mask and also frequent hand hygiene. Full set of PPE should be made available at the site in case of emergency. So you need to keep full set of PPE nearby. If anything happens, patient collapse at the time, you have that, you can actually put it on and actually manage the patient there. Okay, in the patient waiting area for patients, those who are with respiratory symptoms, patients should wear a face mask 
and should be seated at the designated area and to sit at least one meter apart. There will always be one meter apart as a social distancing, but this is patient's area also. Okay, the second uh, setting will be the examination room or consultation room. Okay, for healthcare workers who are in that particular room, while they're taking their history, doing the physical examination, as well as providing care, Okay, they should wear surgical mask, minimum of surgical mask. They also need to use a frequent hand hygiene. Patients should be reminded to wear a surgical mask also if they can tolerate. If it's not, advise patients to cover nose and mouth when the healthcare worker enters the room. Okay? For cleaners who are doing the cleaning of the examination room, cleaning in the outpatient consultation rooms, okay, they should wear surgical mask, long sleeve gown, plastic gown, glove, as well as eye protection and clothes shoes yeah, for the cleaners. They should actually increase the frequency of cleaning at areas with higher environmental contamination. This is from Vipro. They should in various areas, as mentioned earlier, for the triage area, minimum of medical masks, then for, for those who are involved in the collecting respiratory assessment, which is more of the uh, clinic satan as well as the hospitals, they need to wear, they need to wear face shield or goggles, medical mask, gown and glove. And for caring patient or PUI or confirm, they should minimally wear uh, use face shield, medical mask, gown and glove. Um, for aerosol generating procedures, they should wear goggles or face shield. Uh, M95 gown and glove, and those who are transporting the suspected or confirmed cases, minimally they should wear goggles and face shield, medical mask, gown and glove. Okay. Sorry, hold on. We are having some technical glitch. Just give us a, a moment. The slides should be up in a moment. Italian hospital makes heartbreaking decision not to activate anyone over the age of 60。Kindly, if of if the participants can could mute your microphone.
the next slide is on this disinfection. Okay. Cleaning disinfect surfaces likely to be contaminated and frequently touched surfaces. Frequently touched surfaces in patient care environment, such as doorknob, surfaces, and surrounding toilets. Minimum requirement of cleaning and inspection of at least once a day and more frequently if visibly soiled. This infection uh, uh, recommend. Contamination of spills, high dilutions of EPA registered disinfection is recommended, such as sodium hypochlorite 10,000 ppm. For reuse equipment, uh, which is not visibly soiled, wipe the external surfaces of large portable equipment, example x ray and also ultrasound machines, and reusable respiratory equipment is actually, uh, I can, uh, this is in the next page, yeah. <clears throat> okay, a little bit of criminal cleaning because uh, those patients who are confirmed uh, COVID-19, the area should be cleaned terminal, uh, through terminal cleaning. Uh, this is the procedure for the terminal cleaning. Before entering the room, cleaning equipment should be assembled before applying APE, meaning everything is there, then start applying the PPE. PPE must be worn or taken out in taken outside the patient room or bed space. Yeah? Cleaning must be in must include portable cards or built-in holders for equipment. The room should be decontaminated from the highest to lowest point and from the least contaminated to the most contaminated. This is the, the procedure of terminal cleaning. Okay. You should remove the curtains and place in the red linen bag with alternate plastic after patient is discharged. This is the procedure that being conducted uh, in the hospitals. We should use disinfectants such as sodium hypochlorite to do the terminal cleaning. Surface must be free from organic soil. Before we use the disinfectant, the neural neutral detergent solution can be used to clean the environment prior to disinfections or a combined detergent as well as infection also can be used yeah, before we uh, start the terminal cleaning. For, PP, for uh, cleaners who are doing the terminal cleaning, this is the uh, PPE recommended. First, surgical mask, long sleeve gown, glove, eye protection through goggles or face shield, as well as good or close shoes. These all five is actually uh, recommended PPE for the cleaners to protect them from getting transmission from COVID-19. Okay. The active ingredients and their working concentrations are effective against coronavirus. There are a numbers, a list of ingredients. The first one is accelerated hydrogen peroxide 0.5%, benzophonium chloride 0.05%, Chlorozadinol, uh, ethyl alcohol, iodine in either four, isopropanol, probidin iodine, uh, probidin iodine, sorry, sodium hypochlorite as well as sodium chloride. With the percentage, <coughs> to 
prefer to disinfectants, okay, uh, if you're using 2.5 gram disinfectant tablets of uh, using concentration of disinfection of 10,000 ppm, you should use the 7 tablet in a water volume of 1,000 ml for the usage of spillage management, wiping and cleaning of blood and body fluids on surface of non-critical items, okay. For uh, wiping of external surface of soil linen bag, we should use a concentration of disinfectant of 5,000 ppm, which is 0.5%. You need to have four tablets uh, diluted in a 1,200 ml of water. For general cleaning, a daily routine cleaning, you only need 1,000 ppm of a concentration of 0.1%. Uh, only one tablet of 2.5 milligram is actually needed uh, in a water volume of 1,000 ml. Okay. Uh, for other items uh, used in the clinics as well as the outpatient settings, blood pressure cough recommended uh, action is actually white with low level disinfectant. Uh, examples of 70% alcohol or hypochlorite solution of white whites. Okay, it should be used in between patients. So each of uh, one patient uh, go from your from your clinics, you should actually wipe the blood pressure cuff. For stethoscope, white with 70% uh, alcohol. Okay, another option is disposable stethoscope stethoscope cover. Okay, if you have that, you can use that. If you have to. Uh, wipes the stethoscope uh, area. It is also uh, should be done between patients or use designated stethoscope for infections or high risk patients. That's the other option. For thermometer, use sheet cover or wipe with seventy percent alcohol. Should be done every after every use. Yeah. For stethoscope, uh, otoscope <coughs> handle, wipe with low level disinfectant. Example: seventy percent alcohol or hydrogen peroxide of 0.5% white. So you can have white in your hospitals or clinics. Should be used in between patients. <clears throat> These are lists of alcohol disinfectants or cleaning products effective against coronavirus. There are numbers of uh, disinfectants which is quite familiar to us. Chloride disinfectant wipes, dental and antibacterial surface. Spencer, Medicline wiper is all in, uh, in these uh, uh, you can you can find this in the shops, yeah. Another focus is actually on the exposure risk assessment for healthcare workers because once uh, patients were identified as confirmed cases, you have to have actually do the risk assessment to your healthcare workers and categorize them in which category whether they are high risk exposures medium risk exposures or low risk exposures. Okay, <laughs> we, will share, we will share with you this slide here. So because it's too, I mean, uh, it's a slightly small. Uh, so it's actually, I will just read it. For the high risk exposure, healthcare workers who perform or were present in room for procedures that generate aerosols and are likely to be fully controlled and um, patients with COVID-19 and when the healthcare providers' eyes, nose and mouth were not protected. 
when a GP procedures there, their nose and her um, eyes and nose are not protected, so they fall under the high risk exposures. And for medium risk exposures, uh, the healthcare worker who had prolonged close contact with patients with COVID-19 and the healthcare worker mucous membranes and hands were exposed to potentially infectious material for COVID-19. This exposure took place that exposed healthcare worker at risk of developing disease and it, we categorized them as medium risk exposures. The last was, uh, uh, the last is the low risk exposures. Uh, which is actually to account for any inconsistencies in the use of or adherence that could result in the unrecognized exposure in fully PPE gown healthcare workers. They are using full PPEs, but they are uncertain of certain characteristics. The third one and uh, the last one is actually no identifiable risk. Okay. Um, healthcare worker with no direct patient contact and no entry into active patient management areas and who adhere to routine safety precaution. These healthcare workers are not considered to have this exposure of COVID-19. Yeah. Okay, in terms of uh, risk assessment and action to be taken, this, the first group who are actually having the high risk exposure group is the one who have unprotected eye, nose or mouth. They didn't use any respirators. They perform or present in the room for procedures likely to generate higher concentration of respiratory secretion or aerosols. The examples is actually uh, performing ventilation, <coughs> sorry, on intubation, performing nebulization also. This recommended action is should be active in which they should be actually monitored. Work restriction. Okay, this work restriction applies to everybody who are exposed in the high risk group. They should be excluded from work and put on home surveillance for 14 days after the last exposure. Okay. In the other group is actually those healthcare workers who are not using a gown and glove, but they use respirators, but they perform or present in the room for a procedure likely generate higher as SNDP, they are actually categorized in the medium uh, category, okay, and they should also exclude it from work and put on home surveillance for 14 days. If you are actually facing this group of healthcare workers, you need to exclude them from work and give them 14 days home surveillance. The other groups are the low uh, category. They are wearing face masks or respirator alone, but they have prolonged close contact with a patient who was wearing a face mask. Okay, patient is wearing face mask, the healthcare worker is wearing face mask. The category is low, so there is there shouldn't be any work restriction. They can come to work uh, as a tenured. Okay, the next category is also a low risk. Healthcare are using all recommended PPEs, respirators, eye protection, gloves and gowns, and they were carrying or having contact with the secretions and excretions of a patient. It is low risk and there shouldn't be any work restriction, restrictions for this group of healthcare workers. Okay. For those who are not using all recommended PPE, but they have brief interaction with a confirmed COVID case, 
regardless of whether patient was wearing a face mask or not, it is also low risk, categorized as a low risk and there shouldn't be any work restriction for this group of healthcare workers. And the last, uh, the last one is those healthcare workers or personnel without PPE, okay? But they are, they walk by a patient who have no direct contact with the patient or their secretion or excretion and no entry into the patient's room, meaning they don't have any contact with the patients. There is no identifiable risk for them and there shouldn't be any work restriction for this group of healthcare workers or personnel in the clinics as well as in the hospitals. With that, thank you very much. These are the reference from uh, various courses for this uh, presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Suraya. So now, um, for your information, we'll be sharing the presentation slides via Twitter. And now we are moving on to the panel session. Here are some of the instructions. We kindly request all the participants to mute their mic. If you want to ask the questions, you can type on the text chat or you can raise the hand in the video conferencing and we will invite you to speak. That will be the voice chat. So we move on now with the expert question and answer session. Our panelists today is Dr. Suresh, who is joining us from Sungai Bolo. Dr. Suraya Amir, who is here. We, are also, we also have with us here Dr. Arasu Raju, the General Secretary of MMA. Thank you, Dr. Arasu, for joining us here. And Dr. Nazrila Hairiza Nasrin, who is the Deputy Director of the Family Health Development Division of the Ministry of Health, who is in charge of the Primary Care Services. So with that, now I open up for questions and answer. You can also use the chat, chat text, where we will answer, and also you can raise your hands to speak. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, one of the questions: Is it wise to give azithromycin to your care patient? Uh, should I, I should answer the question, right? Uh, hold on, now. Yes, Dr. Suresh. <laughs> you, you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. No, it is not because uh, we don't know whether azithromycin monotherapy works. Uh, again, uh, and it's I think it's useless for upper respiratory tract infection because of viral disease. Uh, so we still have to know more because it is just six patients. So I currently I don't recommend anybody giving azithromycin for URT. I don't think it's going to work. Okay. All right. Next question. The next um, question is about. What is your view on use of rapid test kit as screening tool? Is there anybody there? I mean, uh, anybody from virology? Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the, the virologists are unable to join no. us today. Right. They, are, they are in a meeting. They're still at a meeting. Fine. So what happened, um, uh, virology tests, sorry, the rapid test kits are antibody-based tests. You know, that's what I'm talking. When I say rapid test kit, I'm talking about antibody-based tests because 
there is a PCR test that is coming soon, uh, based on a gene expert platform. I'm not talking about that. The current antibody based test uh, can't be used for diagnosis as of yet because it's an antibody test and it takes more than it, 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 it traditionally it becomes positive in the second or third week of illness. Um, and so, it, while our concern is trying to diagnose these people in the first week of illness, uh, that's where they're most infective. And so, uh, diagnosing it later, there's no prizes for that. And so, I don't think uh, the rapid test kits uh, are useful currently. We tested in Sungai we just tested one kit and we found it extremely, uh, I can't remember the name offhand, but I found it extremely not very useful because uh, at day 16, the only 65% of them were positive. At day seven, zero percent were antibody positive, and so it was not very useful. I think there is some uh, uh, in the next weeks. Uh, I think uh, IMR will be testing some of the rapid test kits so we get more data. So currently, I don't. We don't encourage using rapid test kits to diagnose COVID nineteen. Next question. I read a report stating anosmia is a peculiar symptom of COVID nineteen infection useful in any way or should treat it as a warm water kind of information? Uh, honestly, I've not asked, asked there's so many questions we have to ask. We can't ask them, uh, do you smell right? Because um, <laughs> they'll all be wearing a mask by the time I see them. Um, um, and so I've not asked those questions routinely, but um, but I think, yeah, I don't think this diagnostic of COVID-19, I don't think there's anything that is diagnostic. So uh, the usefulness of it, I'm not so sure. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be useful. Okay, next question, Doctor. In a GP setting, we don't know who we are exposed to. So, what will be the most effective triaging methods? Temperature taking, or and or travel history, or both? Please take note that a GP setting, we are facing severe deficiency in even getting a proper surgical mask. Yeah, I think MMA MMA has got a strategy. I think they came up with a video uh, where we we work with them to come up with a video. Uh, does Arasu want to answer that? I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, Arasu, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Suresh. I think that's a very uh, good and practical question. Uh, rest assured, my fellow colleagues, that I'm also a practicing GP. I'm still seeing patients. Okay, basically, what we have done is that uh, we have done a video with Singapore Hospital with the help of Dr. Suresh and also Dr. Christopher, uh, which is a basic on what should we do with our limited resources. That's one thing. Okay, that video is very helpful because it guides you step by step in the uh, practical situation in the GP settings. Okay, the other issue is that we are aware that uh, there is a scarcity of resources, especially on PPE, uh, face masks, and also hand sanitizers. Uh, MMA is working very closely with the Ministry of Health. Uh, KSU is aware, the entire ministry is aware about that. And then uh, we are trying to get as much as possible for the GPs. Okay, now the, the frequent questions asked by the GPs that what do we do in the event we do not have a face mask and hand sanitizers? Of course, the number one is that you need to maintain uh, infection prevention control to your patients and also yourself. If there's an issue, probably you can use the guidelines uh, issued by uh, CCAT recently that uh, in terms of uh, what you should do in that scenario, whether you cut down your hours or you close down, you have to refer to CCAT from that. And the guidelines are out there. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rasu. May I know your opinion on the statement that this virus is an airborne disease, Dr. Suresh? Yeah, we know, we always knew it's an. It's nothing new. We always knew it's airborne, but it's airborne when we intubate the patient, meaning in an intensive care unit. It is airborne if, 
maybe it's airborne if it is in, in nebulized patients you know we use nebulizers but otherwise the majority of the patients uh, that we see in our wards it is not airborne and so you you that's a proof proof for proof for us you know I've, since since the first day of chinese new year we have been managing patients in our wards and our wards are not prepared for airborne airborne uh, this thing they're not negative pressure nothing of that sort you know? and so we don't we don't we don't um, uh, we have not seen any any wild transmission here, right? And so, majority of the patients were mildly symptomatic or just uh, or just have URTI infections. The the mechanism is droplet. Surgical mask protects you. Surgical mask with eye cover protects you. Uh, but but if you are doing, if they are very sick, and if you are intubating them, or if you are if you are maybe even if you are nebulizing them, it can be airborne. So it depends on the setting where it is. So uh, that's what it is now. So that's why the current stay saying that current guidelines that we say stay one, more than a meter away from patients, uh, wear surgical masks, all still applies. Uh, thank you, Dr. Suresh. Dr. Nasrila, you want to add, uh, add something? Go ahead. Uh, thank you, Dr. Nasrila. Just going back to um, the, the, the GPs and the clinics. And I think even though we have, uh, there are problems now, for example, on masks and so on. But I think as we have always been saying that we always should ask the question and we all, now we are appealing to the public to also tell the truth. So we always tell them, tell, tell us whether you are in contact, whether you are, you know, before they come to the clinic, before they enter the clinic, give them that hand sanitizer, ask them to close their mouth, and uh, when they when the healthcare worker comes into the into the uh, into the room, and uh, for us to always protect our healthcare workers and us as doctors, so that we always wear our mask and treat, and just think that everyone is a COVID patient and just take the necessary uh, precaution for every single patient, even though we don't know whether they are positive or not, but treat them as if they are, so that we can protect ourselves. Um, there's always a question on whether, what happens if um, um, we are wearing our um, masks, we sanitize our hands, but one of the patients that came in was actually a COVID positive, and suddenly we also developed symptoms after seeing the patient. I, I think I still need uh, Dr. Suresh's uh, opinion on this, but to me, as a healthcare worker, even though we are wearing our masks and have the, the we think that we sanitize our hands, but if the patient that we saw is COVID positive and we develop symptoms maybe three or four days after that, I think we do need to get ourselves checked. What do you think, Dr. Suresh? Dr. Suresh? Yeah, I, I agree. I fully agree. Okay. Okay, next question. Any difference of technique used in IMR and private labs, example, BP lab for COVID-19 testing, sensitivity or sensitivity-wise? I think Dr. Suresh Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, uh, I think, I think the private labs and, uh, and uh, IMR and MKK came together for discussions, multiple discussions regarding the testing. The private labs, many of them, most of them use commercial kits. Uh, it is very tricky to do sensitivity and specificity because the single most important parameter in this whole viral load testing 
is a way you take your swab. If you don't take your swab correctly, uh, then, then the test can be negative. And the second thing is, you know, uh, we know that the swab is not 100% uh, accurate. So it just can't be just swab alone to decide. So uh, there has not been a formal comparative test, but the labs are using commercial kits uh, that are widely available. The protocols are widely available. And I think they should be reasonable. Okay. Next question. Should we refer all URTI cases with fever more than 38 degrees Celsius or when to refer? To refer to whom? <laughs> uh, no, no, we can't. I don't think we can. So, so I agree with you. Eventually, eventually the, the travel history is not significant and anybody with URTI will become, could possibly be COVID-19. So if that happens, then of course we can't test 30 million people once every two weeks. Like, you know, every time they get a URTI, we can go around testing them, right? It's not practical, right? So if that happens, you know, you think about it, most people will do very well, right? As in most people will do very well if you have COVID-19. The people who won't do very well will be the people who are elderly and people who have got comorbids. Okay, this we know, right? The third thing is, uh, if you are going to do badly, we, we will know, we will know what, why you're doing bad. Which are the group that are going to do badly? These are the ones who have got persistent high fevers. These are the ones who have got, uh, you know, starting to get uh, maybe, maybe shortness of breath, exertional dyspnea, they walk a bit, they feel short of breath. And, um, and or, or, you know, persistent cough. Uh, if, you have, if you have any of these danger signs, so to speak, then you should come and seek treatment. So if somebody comes to me with URTI, they are not known to any of the clusters that we are having now. They have not come from a country that is, that has got potentially high, uh, uh, a high rate of uh, of infection, which I'm, I think we have a tough time finding such a country. Um, but 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 if you have some no such link like that, I would ask them to go home, rest, isolate themselves, show them what home quarantine is, home home self surveillance all about. Tell them what are the dangerous signs. And wasp majority will get better. Once they are better, then they can get on with their get on with their life, right? So seven days or so. That that's this is a, this is a UK NHS advice, right? And once they get better, they get on with their life. Right? And if they not don't get better, then only we start testing them rather than testing every single URK. It's not a practical uh, methodology. Okay. Next question: Why not advocate chloroquine as prophylaxis to people out on home quarantine? And is it true that now source of infection can also be sporadic, no longer based on close contact? Uh, second question is, of course, we are seeing sporadic cases. Uh, uh, we can't we can't always find every. While majority of the cases are linked to some cluster, there are there we are already starting to see sporadic cases. I agree with you. Number one, when you see the report, yeah, daily report, you can see how many of them are cluster related, how many are sporadic. That's one. The the second thing is, you know, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, we, we don't know whether it works as a prophylaxis. We have to wait for some studies. These are all theories. Uh, people have come up with lots of theories, but uh, we don't know whether it's going to work in practice or not. So currently, I feel there is not enough data to say um, uh, uh, chloroquine, or hydroxychloroquine can be a good prophylactic drug. Um, but I, there is some data to say it is useful in mild to moderate disease. I just don't want to wreck this drug. We have very few drugs available now. I don't want to wreck this drug by putting it without any data as a prophylaxis drug. First, the virus might get resistant to it. 
or the second, there will become acute shortage then, and then we can't use it for people that really need it. So I, I caution all of you not to go embark on, on prophylaxis and then make the situation that's already bad worse. Let's go by science. And the science says we don't have enough data to indiscriminately use it as prophylaxis. Okay? There is limited science that says you could probably start using it in mild to moderate disease. Very limited science. And let's go by that. And all of you, all of you, I need all your help. We need all your help to make sure we don't waste this pressure resources based on just rumors and uh, and popular and uh, date and stories from popular media. Okay, next question. Some private clinic do offer test kit to detect COVID-19. Is it advisable to do so under private clinic setting with just masks and gloves? How about as a screening tool? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, rapid test kits currently cannot be used yet. We don't have enough data. The preliminary, very little data that we had so far tells us that it doesn't pick up people who have got early disease. And, uh, and so we, we, we are actually UK NHS and we both and we ourselves are now saying, please do not use rapid test kit for diagnosis as yet. For diagnosis as yet. It is being used as a public health tool, but not for diagnosis. Next question, Mr. 30 year old doctor, pregnant at five months, exposed to a COVID-19 positive patient. She was wearing a mask, patient was not. Should the doctor be made to continue work? Second question, if a healthcare worker has underlying asthma, uh, well controlled on fruity form, and he or she is still fit for work at a GP clinic, PPE is being used at clinic, um, is the patient exposed? Like the same question above. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, if the patient is a if the person, I think, I think Suraya went through those slides. I think you, you, you will have to download those slides and then and go through the scenarios one by one and see which one fits, which one fits. Nah. Offhand, I think I, I also go back because it's very confusing. I also go back to the slides to look at it whenever people give me a scenario, right? So offhand, if somebody, it all depends on whether the person, how close the contact was with that particular patient, whether you coughed on your face and. and stuff like that right uh, but if, if it is a normal contact if you are to wear a mask you are protected um, and so that's the reason why we are encouraging everybody to wear a mask uh, but but there are there are nuances in it right and so and so i i, I would i would we would interview the the doctor in depth to decide whether she's at risk or not uh, so the, the 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 general rule is if we think it's a close contact we'll, we'll ask them to go off work but if they think it's a casual contact we will, we will ask them to continue work, but monitor for symptoms. Um, Well-controlled asthma, I don't think is a risk factor for, for, for as far as I know, it's not a risk factor for COVID. Uh, as a vulnerable population. Okay, next question. Um, any evidence on favipiravir in treating COVID-19? Have MOH acquired it? And do KKM have favipiravir tested here in Malaysia? Uh, those one of the drugs that we are looking at, uh, you know, there's some limited data from China saying that might be useful. We are trying to acquire the drug. Currently, the drug is not available in Malaysia. Uh, we are trying to get the drug from China currently. Okay. Um, should we just close GP in view of shortage of PPE? And would this burden the KKM? 
And if all hell breaks loose and we come to a point where we are forced to reuse face masks, is there any way to disinfect or sterilize the mask used for personal use? Uh, Arsu should answer that question regarding uh, all hell break loose question. Yeah, Dr. Arsu, go ahead. Uh, I, I, I believe the infection part probably Dr. Suraya and Dr. Suresh can answer. But in terms of the practicality as a practicing GP, uh, the country is facing a crisis. <clears throat> That's what we should understand. So we have 7,000 clinics in the country. Uh, it's time that we play our role. Of course, the infection prevention control is very, very important because if you're not well, we can't treat the others. So let's use the basic things about how, about what is the casual contact. So the basic protocol that I would advise as a practicing GP is that treat every URTI with a temperature above 38 as a, co a PUI COVID-19 protocol. I said PUI COVID-19 protocol. That means you must train your staff at the counter that what are the relevant questions to ask. Keep a distance of more than a, a meter. Very short question. Prepare a simple script for them to ask a question. If the temperature is above 38, I would advise them to be sent to a separate room or a treatment room. Go there, wear your mask, don't touch the patient, just do a verbal triaging and also a visual triaging, then you decide. And 80% of our patients are repeat patients. That means we know about the patient's history. We know about the patient's history and most of them will tell us the truth. Okay, now the issue is that this could be those first-time patients who are coming, that could be 20%. So if you think there's a risk in your judgment during your, your visual and also verbal triaging, if you find there's an element of risk, then spend very minimal time and then send them out and give them proper and adequate information for them what to do. And probably after that, you can monitor the patient. They probably call them up after one day or two days to monitor. This is part of the CSR that we have to do so that this particular person, if they do not fulfill the COVID criteria, but they're a bit doubtful, it's better to monitor them. So that would be my practical advice, which I'm also doing at the moment to reduce the risk in my practice. We have to continue to play a role. And then uh, I think uh, <clears throat> I think the government will now, be, MMA has issued numerous statements on PPE, and we have uh, received, I mean, uh, NADMA also has issued about the statement. And uh, let's hope that uh, this issue of PPE is resolved. At the meantime, remember one thing, we are all healthcare workers. We have gone through the training in the very difficult situations. Some of us in ED during the house, we've gone through very minimal resources and how do we manage that? So probably these are the skills that we have to go back and read and then try to uh, do it. And, and the situation is very dynamic. And uh, some of them have asked me also, uh, can KKM come out with guidelines? Uh, to me, my personal opinion is that this is a very dynamic situation. This virus is very new. And all of us as healthcare workers, uh, we need to also adjust according to the situation. But the most important thing, whatever we do, it must be evidence-based and let's do not panic. If we panic, it's going to create chaos. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Arsu. Perhaps Dr. Sraya can also uh, mention something. Okay. Uh, in terms of guidelines uh, for the uh, infection control, infection prevention and control, initially when we have our first version, second version, and versions, our guidelines is actually more of a one approach. Uh, the the usage of the the communication is actually higher uh, recommendations, but when we when it, uh, when we see that there's actually a more of a droplet transmission, so our guidelines change. So our recent uh, the 
coming up guideline will be version version five uh, in term of um, exposure. So the risk exposure is actually based on the uh, transmission base of precautions uh, of droplets. So the um, PPE use will be uh, it's not stepped down. It's just appropriate to the risk of that transmission base. Uh, of droplets instead of airborne. So some of the uh, uh, call that some of the recommendation in earlier versions was not applicable anymore in our latest versions. Uh, in terms of the uh, PPE, whether it can be uh, recycled or reusable. So uh, according to the standard, it should be if it is actually advised as um, I call that uh, single use, it should be single use. But then, uh, as we know that we are having problems with PPE, our uh, Ministry of Health has actually worked with uh, all these uh, relevant uh, agencies uh, to coordinate uh, in terms of PPE supplies for Malaysia, not only for Malaysia. Thank you. Okay, next question. Um, I'm in a private hospital. Due to shortage of PPE, is it adequate to clean with soap, bleach and water to clean and reuse? And also, the virus size is smaller than the pores on three-ply masks. So, is the three-ply mask and uh, of any evidential protection? Three-ply mask is actually adequate for, as earlier mentioned, that it's actually droplets. So, three-ply mask is adequate. But if you are uh, performing aerosol generating procedures, we need to change it to NMD which is actually, uh, if it is in the clinic setting, it could be denebulization, or if there's an emergency integration, something like that. Dr. Arasu, MMA with Pharma Malaysia only supply 50 pieces per clinic of masks. Definitely not enough for us with many branches. At the moment, uh, that's a very good question, practical question. See, at the moment, we are having scarcity of resources. We have 7,000 clinics in the country. We need to make sure that every clinic, their staffs and the doctor and the patients are protected. So that is why we are rationing at three boxes per clinic, with 50 pieces each. So you must remember we are having a crisis and we need to acknowledge that, that we're having a crisis and how do we handle it in this period of time? And then what we have also noticed, there is a significant reduction in number of patients in most clinics. Some are up to 80%, some on average, what we have gathered from the ground is around 50%. So it shows that uh, there could be fear. So the usage also will be minimized a bit now. And then uh, let us all work together uh, in this time of crisis. Thank you, doctor. Is it better to use MDI inhalers rather than nebulizers under current situation? And is there any role for Tamiflu? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not better to use MDI inhalers than nebulizers because a nebulizer you can aerosolize it and so become can be airborne um and the second question was um, is there any role for tamiflu uh, tamiflu tamiflu doesn't work for covid19 if they have influenza it will work thank you some at least daira asking gp to close after 6 pm where else we are supposedly to close by 10 pm by ccaps which one should we follow Okay, this is a legal question. So what can MMA do at the moment is that uh, we will we will get the direction from the Ministry of Health and uh, probably we'll escalate this matter to the NADMA also so that let NADMA make a decision 
and then uh, so that there's a uniformity uh, throughout the country. At this point of time, I can't answer. We will uh, we will communicate with NADMA and MOH and wait for the direction on this. Based on WHO paper, isolation and quarantine itself will not control the infection. We need to do aggressive screening tests to actually have better results in controlling the spread of infection. What is our next step? Dr. Suresh? Yeah. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. That's the reason why the lab people are not here for the panel discussion today. Uh, 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 that's the reason there, there is a massive upscaling happening currently and all universities and army, everybody is chipping in, private labs are chipping in uh, to do, a, to, do a, to, to increase the, the capacity for testing. And so there is a plan. So uh, uh, our, DG, our, our, our DG is very clear. He wants us to test more. Uh, so that we can identify and isolate and we are upscaling our our capacity okay. patients are not truthful and history is unreliable should we test for covid 19 in every case with fever and urti assuming cost is not an issue yeah, it's, the issue is lab capacity we, we so i'm saying you know the number of people having urti and lab capacity is not adequate yet as of now we cannot do it i don't think we our labs can cope uh, so that's the reason why I'm saying you all, we all have to have a proper advice for these people. Um, isolate yourself at home and so that you don't spread the disease to somebody else. And if you have any evidence of uh, uh, the disease, any evidence of disease getting worse, contact us that test you as a second for the second round. Hello. Hello. Sorry, we are we dialed in from KKM. Dr. Ravi is here to answer the lab. Okay, uh, great. Uh, welcome on board. So we have two more of our panelists, uh, Dr. Ravi from uh, IMR and also Dr. Priya from uh, uh, the OSH. Yes. Occupation. And, and, and can I just add with uh, Dr. Hani from MKAK and Dr. Nick from OSH? There's four of us here today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. Sorry, we were in a, in a CPRC meeting. We just concluded that. So we now can, can answer any questions. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Ravi, there was a lot of question regarding a lab. I believe now. <laughs> no, no, this is okay. This, yeah, yeah, right. Regarding what exactly? Rapid test, is it? Uh, there were questions on rapid tests and also our lab capacity to screen, to do mass screening. Yes. So basically, uh, like what? Uh, first, I address the uh, rapid test first. Huh? The rapid tests that are available in the market are antibody based tests, right? So what does antibody tell you is actually tells you that you've been exposed to the virus. It doesn't tell you whether you're still carrying the virus. So that's, that's the thing. Because you see, basically, you have two types of antibody that can be detected by the rapid test. One is called the IgM, which usually comes up after day six. And one more is the IgG, usually comes about two weeks. So let's say you take a sample on day one. The person may be having the virus, but you may miss huh? you, because it comes out a negative. Uh, so basically, if you take a, on a day six, you may see the IgM, but you don't know whether the person is still sharing the virus. The main aim of us doing a diagnosis test uh, like PCR is basically we want to see whether the person is still sharing the virus so that we can contain them. So the antibody will not tell you that because basically it will tell you a person has been exposed, but not necessarily uh, carrying the virus. It's a reason. So, um, um, so back to our capacity of PCR. Um, basically, um, looking at how many hospitals that we have trained, uh, IMR as well as MK, okay, uh, we have in, in total of 18 uh, centers in the uh, government facility. Government means Ministry of Health facilities that can do PCR. 
And then we also have trained um, private labs as well as um, university labs. And many people are coming in, but again, the capacity. And yeah, basically we are, because we also have um, um, slight issue regarding uh, reagents. Some reagents are coming soon in two weeks time. So we are, uh, right now our capacity is about, um, about um, close to 3,000 a day. Close to 3,000, but probably looking at the what number of cases that are coming, we have to ramp up maybe double or triple. So we are also looking at um, uh, automation, um, uh, automation alarm. Some of the hospitals have automation uh, where we could quickly do the extraction um, through an automation system and put into a liquid handling system to get the result. Uh, we want to cut short the turnaround time, but the, um, and also the region that we have to do all that when you have enough regions as well as uh, 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 um, basically region. Um, so. We are also looking at other options where there are companies uh, who are coming in now, new players, where they have high throughput PCR machine, where you can run 96 samples at one go. One is coming from Singapore. They're going to come to IMR tomorrow. We will set up the assay, and then if it's working, we probably will send to uh, this um, uh, kind of uh, platform to high throughput centers like Sumer Bolo need a high throughput center as well as MKA, provided they have this. I mean, the existing, I think most of them have the existing system, the real time system. And another, another, um, maybe a bright new something that we've got, got hold that there is possibility of a rapid antigen test. This is what we want, not an antibody test, a rapid antigen test, which will use it. Uh, basically, how it works is that you take swaps from a nasopharyngeal swap as well as oropharyngeal swap, and straight away put into a buffer, and this is a 10 or 20 minutes test, just like a rapid test, which can be done in a hospital setting. So if we can get hold of that, uh, apparently some Korean company have developed that, but we have not come to Malaysia yet. Uh, that we are willing to do evaluation. So we will probably, IMR people go and see Dr. Suresh. We we'll do it on site because this must be done in the hospital because basically um, the swaps that are coming is usually in what we call as viral transfer media. It's not indicated. You cannot use a viral transfer media to do that. You have to use the buffer that's provided by the rapid test, so which means you must do on site, which is very good for the hospital. It is good even um, basically, um, Again, when you take the sample, there is also certain uh, you know, SOP to ensure you, the person who's taking up uh, the sample has to protect it, huh? because you're going to use noisophagia as oropharyngeal. Once you take properly, then straight away transfer, that kind of training will provide. Like, first of all, we do that for Singapore Hospital. And, and it's a simple test, but basically, once you take a video or something like that, then we can you know, distribute. But having said that, first of all, you have to have that thing first. So using that kit, that rapid test, even though, let's say, its sensitivity is 50%, so you say take 100 samples and you do 50% positive, it's good. At least you can bring down the, the turnaround time from PCR, which takes about, because PCR, there is a few steps, and there is also activation, inactivation, there's extraction, and there's PCR. Uh, in a good time, you can get it about four to six hours. This rapid test, you can get it out in within half an hour. So if let's say sensitivity is 50%, it's okay, 50%, you can take report, and the other 50%, you can put them for the PCR, which is more sensitive. So at least you, you break down, you at least you bring down 50% uh, of the workload from the, the labs, right? Basically something like that. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ravi. Um, next, I think I just give uh, Dr. Priya to maybe briefly touch on health and safety of our healthcare workers. Um, um, are we referring to our healthcare workers or to the GPC? Uh, uh, no, no, all, I mean all. Oh, to all. Right. So currently for healthcare workers in general, I think if you look at our interim guidelines, uh, as, as, as Dr. Suraya has mentioned that earlier, so the PPE has been recommended for the use of the doctors. Now, but the PPE recommended for treating COVID positive cases are full PPE as listed. Um, 
For now, what we are saying is for those treating other cases, other cases that are not, sorry, you cannot hear, is it? That are not COVID positive, then uh, we, we are recommending that the three-ply mask be used. But the most important thing that we would like to recommend to the doctors, uh, um, I know privately a little bit different, you need to adjust your situation accordingly, but the four important things we would like to highlight are, if you get a patient, I, I think uh, Dr. Suresh is there and we conquered on this. So if you get a patient with symptoms, make sure the patient is given a mask, right? This is maybe in a hospital or other setup. And of course you have to practice your distancing. And thirdly, you have to have very strong, good, frequent hand hygiene. And last but not least, you wear a, a three-ply mask as a doctor. This is the minimum most for cases that you should protect yourself with. So by right, if you do follow, meaning you adjust your situation accordingly, depending on the patients who come. Okay, if it is a GP setting, um, you know, you can do your triaging. And then if your people are, are protected, your patient comes in, you should only be doing a symptom screening at the GP clinic. You are not actually asked to examine after which you are asked, you can refer the patient. So therefore, I think we should avoid panic. Most importantly, try to follow the instructions given and there's no need to, you know, jump. And PPE is limited right now. Even Ministry of Health is finding it very difficult to procure PPE. That is why we would like to recommend judicious use of PPE. Try to, use it, you know, the mask needs, cannot be used after every point. You have to maintain it until, of course, it is terminated or it is damaged. Uh, and of course, when you don't handle it, when you remove it, I mean, there are a few things you have to do for judicious use. But at this point of time, there is, I think, of, uh, of note that if everyone can try to follow what we're recommending, hopefully it should be okay. Thank you, Dr. Priya. I think we have 10 minutes left. We will uh, we'll answer a few more questions here. Go ahead. Okay. Next question. If GP close shop, what type of volunteer position with MOH can we consider? And is it necessary for us to wear gloves during consultation? Okay, Dr. Priya, who will take this question? Yeah, okay, I've seen that. Yeah, I, I, we are asking for volunteers. Currently, the request for volunteers is not to immediately place them in any location. The request for volunteers is to stand by. We would like to stand by volunteers who can assist us if we come to a point where we cannot manage. And having said that, the volunteers themselves also not be actually used uh, to manage COVID positive cases. The volunteers where they, the, the help of doctors are needed. So since they are being used in other settings, the mask alone should be sufficient. Anyhow, we will be giving the recommended uh, or the recommendations to the volunteers based on where they are placed. So I, I think there's a misconception that the volunteers will be used to treat COVID patients. Uh, that's not true. Acceptable turnaround time. Okay. Uh, is that a, a question regarding acceptable turnaround time? Uh, uh, actually, the best would be uh, within 24 hours. Uh, that's why we should, we are doing uh, um, trying to do that. Um, our data shows almost 80 to 90 percent. We still get it out within 24 hours. That could be some, uh, you know, uh, can go up to 40 hours. But that's the reason why we are going into automation uh, and and getting um, the, you know the, the high throughput uh, uh, high throughput. Um, bring down the uh, turnaround time even to less than uh, 24 hours. Basically, how some of them work is basically when the turnaround time actually calculated the time we receive a sample, no? sample at the lab, then and the results out, not from the field you call it sample. Basically, that's 
Uh, some actually we release within 12 hours. Huh? We, let's say we get in the morning at 10 o'clock, we release by evening. So it's even less than 24 hours. So it, it goes by a higher throughput when you have more sample, there might be, but we try our track right now is almost 90% we release the result within 24 hours. We're trying to reach less, I mean, 100% less than 24 hours. That's our aim, ultimate aim with the optimization, with a lot of people days coming, we hope to achieve that. Again, when you say that, when you are looking at people who are waiting for the result, they are already contained. Uh, we are not releasing them, so they are already contained in certain specific sites, so that when the result comes, then we know what was the management like. Hello, hello. Hello, I think we are disconnected. Sorry. Are they connected? They can hear. We can hear. Don't worry. All right. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so we, we don't know which question is being discussed. Sorry. Uh, it's just a, a quick question on drive through, drive through screening and self swap. It's okay about drive through and self swap. Uh, somebody's doing it. Somebody's doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we did try, we, we have done drive through. I think many of us have done it. And also, I think Bilaya did it also a drive through testing uh, for, for people that we know who are coming through. Uh, and self testing, yeah, I've not seen any because. Uh, I have not seen data for self-testing yet because um, it really requires a nasopharyngeal swab, not a throat swab, uh, oropharyngeal swab. I have not seen the data for self-testing as yet. Most testings are performed by somebody. So, how do you take the swab properly? Yeah, self, just, just a bit because the indicated sample collection is actually usually nasopharyngeal swab as well as oropharyngeal swab. You may not get a high yield, so you may miss out. So it's not recommended. Swap. Okay, thank you, Dr. Surya. Go ahead. Okay, I would like to add on about the usage of glove. It is not advisable to use glove as a universal globing because it actually can contaminate other surfaces. Instead of putting glove on, you can actually use frequent hand hygiene. So not. Glove is only for uh, like uh, collecting samples or when they do the cleanings and so on, but not for the usual uh, physical examination. You know, which is more of uh, use hand hygiene instead of glove, except you are exposed to the body Thank you. And, uh, any any more questions? Go ahead. Okay. How long is the intubation? No. How long should we adhere to uh, house quarantine? Uh, asymptomatic casual contact and asymptomatic casual contact, judging by the fact that incubation period can range from 5 to 14 days and the disease progression is up to 26 days. 
Sorry, uh, repeat the question. I didn't get that. Okay, how long should we adhere to house quarantine? Number one, asymptomatic casual contact, then asymptomatic casual contact, because judging by the fact that incubation period can range from 5 to 14 days and the disease progression is up to 26 days. Okay. Uh, it was asymptomatic. It doesn't matter asymptomatic or symptomatic, right? And so if, if you have a contact, the, your clock starts from the day you you're no longer in contact right isn't it huh? so you when you're no longer in contact from that day onwards you count 14 days so if you are if you are if you're going to get the disease you're going to get the disease in the next 14 days that's what the incubation period is about right uh, once you get it then you can progress but but if you are if you're getting better then that's it it's still 14 days just a question on that because we also are looking at um, using an alternative test for those uh, home uh, home uh, surveillance. Say day one they have done a PCR and it's negative. We also again will be doing a day thirteen PCR. But because looking at um, 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 uh, looking at um, uh, you know zero uh, conversion by day thirteen you should have an antibody ready either IgM and IgG. So basically we're going to use a rapid test antibody test for them for the day 13 let's say if there's no antibody in an igm on igg that's good that means we can no need to do a pcr for that day 13. so that's how we're going to further reduce the burden on the lab to do a pcr i just would like to add something for the doctors who had used the ppe we will not consider you close contact you know so I think people are, have a misconception. So it's those who have not been protected that will be considered as close contacts. All healthcare workers who are protected have taken the necessary precautions. We don't consider as close contact. So I think there's some misunderstanding over there. Next. Okay. Next question. Are private hospitals allowed to treat COVID-19 patients for those who have medical insurance? Currently, no, we have discussions to change that. Like currently, no, um, we are being referred to the government hospital currently. Okay, uh, we have two more last questions before we close the session. Would you consider money as a factor that transmits the virus and encourage use of e-wallet? Perhaps uh, Dr. Suresh or Priya can take up this question. Transmission through money. <laughs> we have to do a scope on the money and look okay. at the virus, something like that. But not, yeah, I know some people do share photos of washing the money and all, but I really don't know. We just really no evidence. Uh, we probably have to selectively take swap from the money and we see a virus probably that we really don't know whether a person and then touches that. Could be, I don't want to say anything until there's evidence. Last I question. think last question. What is the risk of examining the throat of any patient with febrile URTI? Yeah. Yeah. Wear a mask and do it. I think you don't think you should anybody should check anybody's throat without wearing a mask and if necessary an eye protection too. A mask and an eye protection is required before you check anybody's throat in this current time. Dr. Strang, you want to add something? I think if it is, uh, if you are exposed to this um, uh, the droplets very near to the patient, uh, and then if you actually anticipate it is aerosolized, 
you need to wear N95. If it is uh, not aerosolized, meaning it can be suggest surgical mask. As uh, yeah, for aerosolized, another uh, addition is actually your face shield. Thank you. So as we are coming to the end of the session, I will allow each panelist to just give one sentence. What is the message you would like to give today? Perhaps we start with Dr. Suresh. Go, Dr. Suresh. Uh, I know it. I know, I know it, it is difficult times now. It, it, we, we, we might go for lots of, uh, uh, we, will for, we will forsake science at this time. I, I beseech you all to stick to science and follow what, what scientific evidence there is out there. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Ravi? Yeah, we hope because I know we, we hope with the new uh, uh, availability of methods and uh, we hope to screen more people. We, uh, with that, we hope to contain more people. Hopefully, we bring down the curve, flatten the curve, basically that. At the same time, we want people to stay in the house when they basically that. Thank you, Dr. Priya. Uh, basically, we, we will update everyone from time to time. The, our guidelines are being updated according to the phases. Uh, I know it's one sentence, but just a quick one since we joined late. Our face is changing in this whole outbreak. We are going towards a late containment mitigation. So I think everyone needs to change their way of thinking uh, when they handle the cases. And at the same time, if they follow the precautions that we are recommending, it should, it should be all right for the doctors. But just I need to just mention, we cannot put everything down in detail. So whatever we give is the minimum most and the generalized information. So please kindly uh, modify it according to the situation where you are in. And But feel free to contact us if you need any further clarification in any matter. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Dr. Suraya? Okay, uh, I think uh, standard precaution and uh, transmission precaution is very, very important. At this time, in which we can actually, we cannot to know which patient is actually having close contact or uh, those who actually have traveling history and so on. So it is very, very uh, essential for us to practice a standard precaution as well as transmission-based precaution. Thanks, Dr. Suraya. Next, Dr. Nasrila. Okay. I think, uh, as I said before, and I'd like to echo Dr. Suraya, is that please take as all our patients or all URTI patients as a COVID patient take care in terms of our PPE and please look out for our next um, guideline because it's going to come up soon. Look at our website and please update because it's going to be at each time. So please, please keep yourself updated. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, Dr. Arasu, your final parting message. My fellow GPs, I think uh, this is a time of uh, crisis. Fellow GPs, this is a time of crisis. This is a time of crisis. Let's stand together with our colleagues in MOH. Uh, let's enhance our skills in terms of verbal and also oral triaging, and then uh, protect ourselves, stay safe, and continue to play the role of frontliners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. So we have come to the end of the session. We will answer all the questions posted on the chat space for those that we have not answered yet. And also, we will be distributing the presentation slides via Twitter. Again, thank you so much for all our expert panelists today, uh, both and also to MMA and also the National Institute of Health, Ministry of Health, for making this happen. And to all our participants out there, thank you for joining us today. May we all together strive through this crisis and flatten the curve. Stay safe and goodbye. Yeah.
Thank you, doctors.